Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and we've got a great show lined up for you today. A lot of exciting topics that we're going to go ahead and uncover, and we want to thank you again for joining us. Now, we'll jump right into our first segment. Um, We're going to talk a little bit today about the way that military academies run their admission process and some of the unique aspects of applying and getting accepted uh, to a military academy. And joining us to have a conversation about this is going to be my colleague uh, from out on the East Coast, Lisa Albro. Hey, Lisa, how's it going? I'm well, Ian. How are you today? I'm doing really well. And, and we're glad to have you here because you within our team know quite a bit about how the military academies function, some of the unique aspects of their process. Um, and I think you know, probably our listeners are familiar with some of the military academies. Maybe it's from watching the annual Army-Navy football game. Maybe there's a deeper knowledge that comes from the military academies. But I thought we would just start by establishing what the military academies actually are as institutions of higher education. So can you give us just a, a brief rundown of, of those academies? Absolutely. I think first what I need to tell you what they're not uh, is is a traditional college setting, right? <laughs> yeah, sort of goes I mean, to that. Say, yeah, yeah. But thanks for mentioning that. Definitely. I think we have to start there because yes, it's a it's it's an institution of of education, higher education. Uh, at the end, you complete the whole four years. You do come out with a four year degree, a, a bachelor's degree, uh, but it has a military component to it, and, and very often they're called service academies, right? Military academy, service academy. It's you're preparing for a career of service. Uh, so when you graduate, you also have, uh, you come out with a, a rank uh, in, in the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, or the uh, Coast Guard, the Merchant Marines. Uh, it's usually a lieutenant, a second lieutenant. And so you're an officer. So it's a little bit different if you were to join the military straight out, go to boot camp. You know, you, it takes a while to become an officer, but here you you become an officer as you graduate, uh, but you are also committing to service and it could be any length of time. It could be a five-year commitment. It could be an eight-year commitment. It depends on a specialty too. So that's the difference as well. Yeah. Got, uh, little, little, you know, little, little bit more of a, a demand on your, your physicality. Uh, right. It's a, it's a very, rigorous uh, physical training as well that you're undergoing and you need to prove that you can participate in that in order to get in as well. Right. Right. Which is surprising to me. I have a friend actually from high school that was admitted to West Point and uh, he wouldn't have been someone that I would have thought would be fast past sort of the physical expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and he actually decided not to stick with West Point in the end. He, he decided to come back and go to Arizona state. Um, but but yeah, I, I think that the physical piece is important. And I want to talk a little bit about that as we get further on into the segment. But uh, you've worked with a number of different students who have pursued the military academy option over the years. I've also seen a couple of them come across my roster. And what would you say tends to be, I, mean, I imagine that people have a lot of different kinds of reasons, but what tends to be sort of a common motivation 
for wanting to pursue an education at a military academy? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, it is an elite education. So there's there's that component. There, there are students who want to go to an elite institution, and it's definitely rigorous in academics. There's a high demand, uh, a lot of applicants, few spaces. Uh, but alongside that rigorous academic commitment, they also want to serve. And so service in many cases has already been a part of their lives. Uh, Perhaps they have participated in some sort of a junior uh, ROTC program through their high schools or, or some sort of other cadet type training for, you know, high school students. uh, And they enjoy that. And they, they like that. They want the regimented uh, environment. And that's another piece that we really have to add in there. Uh, military training, military academies are very regimented. Everyone must follow the same rules, the same steps. It's, it's, I'm not saying you can't be an individual, but you, you know, you need to, <laughs> you need to toe the line. And right. there are some students who really respond well to that, who, you know, maybe they grew up in a household, a military household too. I, I have a lot of students who, who came from that background as well. Uh, so service leadership, Students who are inclined toward leadership, who have a kind of a natural gift for leadership, very often will gravitate to military academies as well. Yeah, and I, I really would underscore that service piece. I think a lot of students might consider this as an option. The students that I've seen that have been really successful in this context are the ones that are focused on this idea of service as being a real priority for them. And so thinking about why you're interested in serving is a key element, I think, to the application process. Now, let's talk about that application process because applying to military academies is quite different from applying to a traditional institution of higher education. What are some of the notable differences for students to consider as they're looking at these military options? Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, you need to acquire a nomination from a congressional member of Congress, uh, your senator, your your congressional representative, uh, a vice presidential nomination, which is really tough to come <laughs> come by, but those are those are three of the several. There are actually a couple of other ways to get nominated if you have, uh, if you're the, the child of uh, uh, someone who's uh, killed in action, uh, POW, there, there's some other ways, but the more traditional routes to go are to secure those nominations from a, a, an elected official. And so that process starts pretty early. That process should start in the junior year, junior spring, junior summer, some are going into senior year because a lot of those uh, nomination packets, they're called packets, uh, need to be submitted to the, the nominators, the nominating team, by sometime in October. And it takes time to acquire all the documents. In many cases, it's almost like a two-application process yeah. uh, where students are uh, they're getting all the letters of recommendation already from teachers, they're getting their transcripts, they're getting their testing scores, they're writing essays for their nomination packets. That's before they even get into the application for the actual academies. And while they can start their applications for the academies, there's a a preliminary questionnaire they have to fill out. They're called different things at each academy, but it's kind of like a a candidate's questionnaire. Uh, The academies will read those and review those and determine, okay, will we offer you the opportunity to continue applying or will we stop it right here? And so if they're offered the opportunity to continue applying, then they will also need to get those teacher recommendations 
very often from very specific teachers. Some academies will say they need to be from a math teacher, an English teacher, a social studies teacher. Usually it's three recommendations and they'll stipulate which subject area or areas they want them to come from. And sometimes they'll give them a kind of a freebie. It can be or any other sort of thing. Um, you know, they're, again, they're testing scores. There's a physical fitness exam. They have to take a, a, a well, be, be examined a medical exam, I should say, but they also need to take a physical fitness test where they can prove that they can do certain things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and it, so it, it sort of comes at no surprise that when we've got military academies that are quite regimented, we also are going to have an application process that is quite regimented. There's a lot of specific content that they are looking for to be able to understand whether a student is going to be ready to apply and actually be successful within the context of that academy. I want to go back to that nomination process just briefly, because when you think about the nomination, at least when I heard this sort of idea, it felt like, okay, we are uh, getting in front of a congressman and convincing them that we would be a good fit for a military academy. And that seems like a really daunting prospect, but you described nominating packets and processes and procedures that are created for students to be able to follow up directly with their nominees. Where can students go to find this information? How do they make sure that they're looking in the right places to be able to have access to those nominating packets? Mm -hmm. So they should look for their district representative's website, whoever their district, congressional district representative is, go to that, that person's website and look up. There's usually a link or a section they can click on about nominations, military academy nominations. Same thing for their state senators. And for the vice president, it's a little bit different. Students are encouraged to apply for nominations from all of those places because each one is limited to how many they can offer. And so why, why not apply to all to, to try and cover all your bases? Really, that's right. the thought. Um, the vice president's, it, like I said, is very hard to come by. Uh, there is the website for the vice president that students should visit, but then they need to link to the actual service academies or the ones that kind of handpick them to forward to the vice president in a way. So it's not that the vice president herself is making that determination <laughs> right out and they're not applying directly to the vice president there. They're kind of going through the academies. It's, it's a little confusing, but uh, the, the senators and the congressional representatives are a lot more straightforward. Go right to their websites. You can link to the nomination packets. Sometimes they'll say they're not available yet. So right now, for current high school juniors, they may not be able to access those nomination packets at all of their uh, elected official sites. Some might be able to, but some might not be able to. So you, I would just tell them to keep checking back over the course of the spring going into summer for sure. So there will be three primary individuals who could provide a nomination for every student plus the vice president. Uh, that'll be your two senators and then your one district representative. And would you recommend that students should look at all four of those options just Absolutely. to make sure they've got all their bases covered? Absolutely. Yes, okay. they should. Again, because each one is limited to only a, a small number that they can nominate. And you know, so if they may not get one from their, their two senators, but maybe their congressional representative does have the opportunity to, to nominate them. Understood. So we're here to talk about timeline as well. And you're talking a little bit about the way that the nomination process will accelerate the process of applying to college. It almost sounds like an athletic recruit where you're looking a little bit earlier in the year. You've got summer is a more of an active time than it would be for a student who's applying to traditional colleges and universities. What are some of the other key milestones in the application process 
for the military academies, which are so unusual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, before I go to those milestones, I do want to mention something else about summer. So the sure. you know Air Force Academy, West Point, and Annapolis, so the Navy and the Army, uh, and, and also the Coast Guard, they all have summer programs. And they're, they're for juniors going into senior year. So the summer between junior and senior year and juniors are encouraged to apply for these. Uh, many of those application deadlines are fast coming. Uh, some might have already passed. I think there was one that already passed in February, but some are March. Uh, but if any juniors listening or parents of juniors listening are interested in applying to military academies, applying to the summer program is a great way to get exposed to the academy. It's a week-long program. They understand a lot more about what they need to do. And they also can eliminate the step of filling out that first questionnaire, that candidate's questionnaire, if they apply to the summer summer program. So that's one thing about summer. Uh, But they all to, uh, sorry, timeline. You wanted to go into timeline, sorry. Um, No, the summer piece is really helpful too. But yeah, timeline would be awesome too. Yeah, yeah. So timeline, uh, certainly after, well, while nominations are trying, you know, they're trying to secure nominations, they also should find out who their admissions liaison is. And every academy has Mm. a different name for who that is. Uh, The Naval Academy calls it the blue and gold officer. The uh, Air Force Academy calls it their admissions liaison. Um, You know, West Point calls it their field force representative. (laughs) So they're all, they're all (laughs) named something different, but that will be the student's direct contact to that admissions program. And so they should go to the websites for sure for any academies they're interested in. And by the way, it's not a bad idea to apply to more than one academy as well. Right. You know, rank your, your choices. You know, okay, I really want to go to Navy, but if I can't get into Navy, I will go to Army. Uh, they ought to look at those things, but read up everything they can on the websites. I just spent a lot of time diving into those websites last week and a lot has changed over the last year due to COVID. And so they should really look at the the stipulations now about things like in-person visits, which are really not happening. (laughs) And uh, interviews are happening virtually right now, for example. And interviewing is part of the process too, by the way. They will need to have an interview. Uh, Very often as part of their nomination, they'll need to have an interview too. So there could be two interviews involved here. Can you help me understand the relationship between the nomination and the actual admission? I know you can't be admitted without a nomination, But if you get nominated and if you pass the physical fitness portion of the application, does that mean that you're essentially a shoe in to get admitted to the academy or is it still selective even after that point? It's still selective even after that point. Yep. You're not a shoe in with a nomination uh, because the admissions program still needs to look at all applicants and all of the academic qualifications and then read the essays. There are essays that are part of the actual application to the academies themselves. And they usually focus on service and leadership. You know, how have you demonstrated service? How will you demonstrate service? How have you and will you demonstrate leadership? What qualities do you have that show that you're already a leader or ready to be a leader in the military? Um, So, you know, and also kind of speaking to their desire to be in the military itself they need to be able to convince their readers of this. So that's a big part of how the applications are looked at. So yeah, a nomination is not a guarantee of acceptance. It strikes me having worked with a couple of students just in the last couple of years who've applied for the academies. It's, it's a lot like students who are applying for BSMD programs in some ways where Mm -hmm. you, you are committing 
an extended period of time beyond those initial four years. Because for a BSMD, you're looking at an eight-year dual degree kind of program. And for military academy, you're looking at the four years of instruction plus the service that comes afterward. And so you really have to be quite thoughtful about your reasons for wanting to pursue this opportunity mm-hmm. beyond, I want to serve my country, or I have always been interested in service. You've got to think, dig deep and really think about why you are motivated to pursue this kind of option in order for you to be a compelling candidate within this vast pool of really, really talented candidates. 100%, 100%. Now, listen, one of the reasons some students initially think they want to apply to the academies is that they don't have to pay tuition. Tuition is provided, room and board, everything's provided for them. That's part of why they need to serve. They're, they're basically paying off <laughs> their, their tuition, right. room and board. But just because it doesn't cost them anything out of pocket isn't the main reason to go, right? I mean, right. they need to be committed to service. And, and listen, the initial you know, first several weeks at the service academy, they start in the summer. If they're admitted, they will start in the summer. It's not that they start in the fall like a traditional college student. They are coming on campus in July. Uh, that early part is almost like boot camp, and it's designed to weed out those that won't survive. <laughs> yes, it, it is. is. I mean, yes, I, it I, is. I, it's you don't want to be harsh with it, but it's it's you know, not all who start will finish. And that's that's when my my best friend from high school came home was was <laughs> after the summer before the academic year started. Mm-hmm. He and he had given a graduation speech about questioning authority. So you could kind of see when he was going off to West Point that it might not be the right fit for him, uh, and it wasn't. And so he came back and found a, a another different pathway. But there really are mechanisms that are put in place within the academies to weed out students that are not going to be a fit for that lifestyle. And it does happen. It starts right in that summer. I think they call it plebe summer yep. uh, at West Point, right? Yeah. So sure do. keep an eye out for those things. I, we've got just a, a minute or two left, but I, I just very briefly, um, should students who are interested in the academies also be looking at ROTC options if they're applying to traditional colleges and universities and, and how might they conceive of the differences there? I'm so glad you asked that because I was going to add that in as a, listen, if you want to convince academies that you are serious about military service, don't just apply to the academies, absolutely apply to ROTC programs. So colleges offer ROTC programs. You can search on the ROTC websites. Each branch of the military has its own ROTC website, and you can look to see who are the member institutions who offer these programs. It's a very good idea to also apply for ROTC programs and to traditional four-year colleges while you're doing that because A, it's not a guarantee you're going to get into the military academy, but B, if you want the military academies to know how serious you are, you know they'll know who applied to ROTC programs. That information is shared. And so if they you know, are questioning whether you're serious about becoming an officer serving in the military, uh, if they see that you also applied to ROTC programs with seriousness, that can help your case at the academies as well. Uh, let me also, also mention one more thing. Uh, you, you have more than one chance to apply to the academy. Uh, if you apply and do not get in, you can apply two more times. Interesting. And so you can apply, you can be in college and applying. And I've had students do that as well. I actually had a student years ago who applied three times and finally got in. Third time was the charm. He didn't get in. He was 20, almost 21 years old when he finally got in, but he had to start as a freshman at the academy, but it was that important to him to do it. And he did. And I think that's probably something that they recognized in that application as well as we've got a really committed student and and cadet here. And so we're going to yes. bring them in and, and sort of, you know, help them with this opportunity. Great. 
Lisa, this was awesome. I think it's really helpful. Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about it today. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Ian. And if you're a listener who's feeling a little bit nostalgic about the academies because you are a veteran, I just want to put in a little plug here that next week we're going to be talking about veterans in higher education and about veteran scholarships. So keep an eye out for our show next week. Okay, when we come back, we're going to open up the office hours and start talking about building a preliminary college list. Don't go away. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey folks, welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher. And we're picking up with our segment's second segment today. That's a hard thing to say, actually, uh, to talk a little bit about the college list. And if you're watching our video here on uh, social media, you can see that I've got Julia Jones here joining us. For those of you listeners, Julia, you want to say hi to everyone? Hey, everyone. It's great to see you. It's great to have Julia back. Uh, Julia is the head of our list team. She works with so many of our students so many of our students on developing a college list every single year and helping them to understand how they can start, how they can engage in research, just some of the different ideas that that they should look at as they're beginning to identify the best colleges for them. Now, Julia, I've had so many conversations just in the last couple of weeks about beginning the search for the college list, which I guess means that it's the season for this kind of conversation to be happening. So why is now a good time for juniors to start thinking in specific terms about some of the colleges that might be a fit for them. Right. Well, yeah, it is. It is definitely the season. Um, and I think part of it is, you know, it's a time of year where um, it's, it's, we're starting to get into spring. I think in a normal year, you know, families might be looking at spring break and trying to think about planning trips to visit colleges that may not be happening necessarily this year. Um, but I do still think that it's it, timing wise um, for students who are maybe applying to colleges in um 
some of them may be in early fall even, you know, now is the time to start building that list so that you can, can uh, you know, start to research and put it together so that by you get, when you get into the summer, you've got a working plan, you've got some, some schools that you're working on so you can start to work on those applications. Um, yeah. Now, so many of the conversations I've had just over the last couple of weeks have begun with, uh, we don't know where to start. <laughs> what do we even do? And I always tell families, that's perfectly fine that you don't have a, a position to start with. It's not your responsibility to be an expert on colleges. That's where we can help you. And it's really strange because you have to have just a huge amount of information and knowledge to be able to make this kind of decision, but you only need that information over the period of about a year when you are selecting colleges to apply to and submitting those applications. And then all of that knowledge becomes unimportant unless you want to join us as admissions professionals. So so what should people do to better understand what the college list is all about or, or, or to look for a good option for them? What's a, what's a starting point for families? Well, I think it, you know, it's, it's kind of like any big purchase that you're making. And I often tell this to parents sometimes, you know, understand this maybe more than students do, but, you know, think about if you buying a house or you're buying a car, right? You don't always know until you get out there and test and try a few, you know, tour a few different, go to a few open houses and see what, you know, do you want a ranch? Do you want a duplex? Do you want, uh, you know, what are you looking for? You know, what test drive a couple of cars. You don't really know what you're kind of after. You might have enough, a few ideas, but you know, you have to get in there and, and do it. So, um, you know, I usually say start, start locally, anywhere you live, there's likely going to be a college or two. And that might be, you know, those are schools that you've heard of. They're on your radar screen. Um, you know, and again, if you can safely and in normal and in other years, I would say, you know, get on a couple of campuses, take a tour. Sure. You can do that anytime. Um, this year, you can't necessarily do that right now, but you can still go onto their website and sign up for a virtual tour sign up for an info session um, or, you know, whatever live events they may be having virtually and, you know, just take notes and and start to listen to what they're talking about. What resonates with you as you're hearing them talk about academic life, about extracurriculars? What are those, those, what, listen to what other people, even, you know, seniors or, you know, students who maybe have been doing this for a while, what are they asking? You know, what, sometimes right. you don't even know what to ask. So you can, you know, piggyback on what other people are, are asking to say, oh yeah, I'd love to know more about, you know, internships or study abroad, things like that. So it, it does help to do that, even if you're not, you know, don't really know where to start. That's, that's often a good place to go. That's a great point. I actually like when, when, when people used to go on tours, it could be great to just sit in the back of the room and listen to what the conversations were that were happening in front of you. What are the other students asking? Maybe that cues you to learn more about a particular aspect of a particular college or just in general, that aspect across multiple colleges. So that's a great reminder that students could take advantage of these virtual college tours and hear what other students are asking. Um, I love the realtor perspective. I use that all the time. Sometimes students are just looking at me like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but their parents are behind. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. That's how we went through that home search. So that makes a lot of sense. I've also been encouraging students this year because things are so remote, because visiting campuses is really hard to do. And and a lot of families don't want to do it. And rightly so. Um, I'll have them buy a college guidebook and randomly randomly, I think it's okay to do it randomly, just choose 10 colleges and read the entry for those colleges and highlight the things that they like and highlight the things that they don't like. And so what you're learning here is across all of these different institutions, what are the attributes that I feel really positively about? And what are the ones that I don't feel positively about? And then I can use that information to then have a more directed search in a particular region 
that I might consider. Yeah, I, you know, you're you're trying to build your list of of must-haves, right? What are the right. things that you really want that you really know any college is going to have? What are the nice-to-haves? The things that, yeah, you know, it may not be a deal breaker, but what might separate out, you know, a great school option versus one that's maybe just meh. So, you know, and that, that that's going to be different. That's going to be a different list of things for every student. Even siblings are going to have different, you know, different must-haves and nice-to-haves, yeah. and that's that's okay too. So, yeah, but you have to start somewhere, and I love that that idea of picking up, you know, going randomly. It doesn't really matter. These initial visits are just to start to set the scene and, you know, figure and learn the lingo and understand what, what's important to you and what's not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for some students, if they're juniors and they're just doing that, they're starting, that's okay. I often encourage, if I get this question, and sometimes I do from um, ninth graders or 10th graders, um, you know, I will, I will encourage, you know, don't, get on a plane and travel across the country to visit a campus. But again, look in your backyard, do a local visit, or in the case of this year where you may not necessarily feel safe to travel or to go anywhere um, in person, open that guidebook and, and start that process. It's not it's not too early, even as a, as a sophomore um, or even a freshman, if you want to just start, start the wheels turning. That's right. That's right. I remember my realtor when we were buying a home, he's like, hop in the car. We're just going to drive around. I'm going to show you a townhouse. I don't really think I want a town. He's like, I just want you to see what it looks like. Here's a possibility. And I started learning about siding and I learned about like different aspects of the neighborhoods. I was like, okay, I've got an idea now of kind of what I'm looking for. So that's, that's a stage that you can be in for, I think another month or two, still investigating what the options are before you really have to make the rubber hit the road and start looking for specific schools that might be a fit for you. Uh, Julia, what do you think are the attributes as we get a little bit more specific for a given student that tend to be important that maybe students are underemphasizing? And what are attributes that you think students tend to overemphasize sometimes in the college search? Sure. Well, I think that, you know, the, the attributes are, it really, it kind of depends on what you are looking, you know, what, what you want, if you know what you want to study, some students do, some students don't. Um, and that's okay if you don't. And I think that sometimes is what I think makes students nervous. They're like, I don't know what I want to study. How am I going to start visiting totally. college? But, yeah. but you, you know, thinking about, okay, what, what academic environment do you want? You don't have to know that you want, if you want to study business or um, English or engineering, but you do have to, you know, you probably have a sense of, what what kind of a school environment where are you a, do you learn best? Yeah. Um, you know, even this year with with virtual learning, I think sometimes that can be you know that that has sort of shown the light even more on hey, I really need to be in person and have discussions and be in a small group. Or you may be a student who's found yeah, virtual learning I work really well independently and that works for me. And so that might translate to you know, do you want a school where you might have big lecture classes and big you know big community um, and or you might really want a smaller school. So so I think it's thinking about the style of teaching and academics that's that's really important even if if you don't necessarily know what you want to major in. Um, and then the culture and atmosphere of a campus, things that you enjoy doing right now, what how how do you see yourself engaging um, outside of the classroom on a college campus? And does that college have what you're looking for? Do you want a really big sports school? Do you want um, a real artsy, you know, a school that has a real great music scene or some some sort of feel? So there are a lot of different elements there that you should be focusing on. Um, when you ask like, what, what should we maybe, what do students spend a lot of time worrying about that they maybe shouldn't? Um, you know, I think the one thing I always hear is I want to go to the, you know, the the most prestigious school or the school with <laughs> yeah. the highest ranking. And, and 
you know, I mean, I think that does have a place. You know, obviously, it's it's you you're you're looking to you know it's a big investment, and so you want to be in a place that that does have that uh, that that recognition. Um, but I think that students often don't um, realize how that that's not as important as I think you, we we all they, we think it is, and that's part of the society we're in. But I think it's it's really about fit. It's you know, fit is a word I use hundred times a day sometimes, because I think it is really about, you know, you can go to the most prestigious university in the world, but if it's not a good fit for you academically, socially, um, it's, it's just, it's not going to be right. And you're not going to likely stay there or be successful, even if you do get in. No, I think that's a great point. And I think that probably the most underestimated determining factor in whether you're successful in college is the the student themselves because you you bring the energy you bring the effort you're the one that's learning and so the context in which you are learning i think is part of the conversation but it's not as though everybody who gets into an elite school is just sort of put into a machine that passes them along a you know an assembly line and they come out being ready to be successful right you still are an important factor and if you take those attributes that you have to any school, you can be really successful. And there might be some that you're more successful than others. Um, with respect to, you know, if we were talking about home buying, right? Price uh, affordability would be a big part of our conversation. And I think when we think about choosing a college, there are two analogies to the price of a home. One is the price of attending college, which we can talk about with our finance colleagues. But I think the other is selectivity and admissibility and how my profile will stack up against a particular school. If I'm a straight B student, I probably shouldn't be spending my time looking at Harvard and Yale and figuring out which of those two I like better, right? So how do students start to think about calibrating their profile relative to the admissibility factors at certain schools? Right. Yeah, it's a great point because it is true. You have to, you know, you can apply it. it, You have, you can't always get exactly that it's not an exact science as we know um but but yeah you want to be applying to schools where you are you know you have different levels of of um selectivity and and uh, but that you you know you do have some chances there too and i think there are places where you can can glean that information um it's uh, you know your high school and your guidance your high school's counselor and uh, you know might be a really good place to start. You're going to be looked at in your high school group as well. So a lot of high school most high schools do track that data of who gets in and who um, and what their stats were. So you can right. kind of look and see how that how that works. Um, some schools have a program a web based uh, program called Naviance that really does show based on different graphs um, where how who got in and what their GPA and their test scores were from your high school from different for different colleges. Um, Other websites sometimes will report, you know, what's the average accepted student profile. And this is where you have to be a little honest with yourself of like, okay, do I, how do I stack up here? Um, Looking at at academics, knowing that GPA doesn't tell the whole story, but at least it gives you a starting point. Um, Testing while may or may not necessarily be um, a, a factor. Some years and some schools are testing optional and some years it's more of a factor than others. And for some schools, it's more of a factor than others, but it's a good metric to at least see, you know, how your test scores compare. So, um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, I, I, I think that those are ways to, to at least start. And then admissions themselves, they, I've never been to an admissions talk where they didn't talk about what, what's the, the typical accepted student profile. What does that look like? That's right. That's right. You have to be a little bit careful with the admissions offices because I think they'll always say like, right. 
everybody has a chance, you know, for whatever reason, it's, it's not always true that everybody has a chance at every institution. It's just, it just isn't. And I think that one of the reasons that you and I focus so much on the conversation about um, how competitive a student can be at particular schools is because we really want to manage expectations as we move our way through the fall that right now you and I are not just helping juniors to identify their new colleges, but we are also preparing to hear from our seniors who are receiving decisions from the schools where they chose to apply last fall. And so you can put yourself in a really strong position to get more good news than bad just based on where you choose to apply to college. That's something that you have a huge amount of control over when you're building your college list. And so students can have uh, a great outcome for this process just by virtue of choosing the right set of schools for them that match them. And students can have a really poor outcome if they don't really think about the best fit colleges for them from a variety of different perspectives. And that's why I think you and I harp on this so much is when it comes to the outcomes, we want to make sure that you feel like you were successful with respect to applying to college. Um, I just sort of catapulted us forward in terms of thinking about the end. Can you help us to understand sort of important points in the timeline? We're in February right now. What are we, what's our goal? How many colleges are we sort of looking for? What are we building towards over the next few months? Sure, sure. Yeah. So I think right now, again, it's starting starting with just looking at different types of schools, too. And I think that's a really good way to to visit, to contrast and compare. And then, you know, hopefully maybe by the spring, having perhaps a, a bigger group of schools, schools that maybe you've you've compiled from your your school data, your school counselor, your own research to say, OK, here are some schools in different categories that might reflect my chances for admission. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, you know, that's a good working list. And then you can just, you know, over the course of, of the spring and summer, really start to narrow it down based on all the different ways that you can find out about a school. Ideally, by the end of the summer, that's usually my benchmark goal for students to say, this is when you really need to have the final list of colleges so that you know not just where you're applying, but when and how and, and all of that. That's right. Um, that's yeah. right. So, Deadlines, yeah. application requirements, additional supplements, all of those things are details that you're not going to bring into your research process because they're not relevant to the research but they are relevant when it comes time to apply and you've got to give yourself enough lead time to be able to be prepared for that. All right, Julia, we have now reached the end of the timeline for this segment, I know, (laughs) Uh, but I want to thank you for coming on and always being our list guru and helping us to understand how this research process should work. Great. Thanks for having me. Of course, when we come back, we're going to fast forward to those seniors and think a little bit about how they can compare different college finance offers. So if you're a parent of a senior, or you might be one one day, you'll want to hear it. Don't go away. Bye. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful. 
but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We're here for our final segment of the show. And if you're watching us on social media, you might look back uh, to find the video that I had with Julia just a moment ago talking about building your college list, something that's great for juniors. There were some tips in there even for freshmen and sophomores in thinking about where they'd like to apply. But now we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about the college finance piece of the puzzle. And so joining me uh, for this part of the, part of the conversation is going to be Alex Gonzalez, one of our college finance experts here at College Coach. Hey, Alex, how's it going? Great, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you here. And so we're really moving ourselves ahead to think about seniors who right now are either beginning to hear back from colleges or they will be hearing back from colleges within the next couple of weeks to a month. And this is a time where I think on our side of the ball as college admissions advisors, we typically get binary information. I got in or I didn't get in, right? And so student gets admitted, that's an opportunity to celebrate. But there's obviously some huge details that are attached to that decision, typically surrounding college finance. And so we want to talk about comparing those award offers. What are some things that students can start with just when, it, when, when the offers start coming in? How do they get situated? How do they get organized? How do they put themselves in a position to be able to assess what those differences look like? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I, I, I'm on your side. Take the time to celebrate. Yeah. All that hard work that you did in um, the summer leading up, the fall, and, and you're starting to hear back. Um, so take, this, take that time. Um, and now really when you're comparing awards is now you're getting down to kind of a little bit more of a formula saying, okay, okay. Wh- what is my, um, what are my goals? What are my affordability goals? It's great that I got in, but now how do we compare um, based on um, kind of the different types of awards that are coming through? Just to kind of recap, um, colleges are going to offer need-based grants, scholarships uh, based on merit, work study, student loans. All of these things are going to be a part of that award letter. Now it kind of goes into an equation of what is the cost of attendance? So what does that budget look like? Yeah. What is the aid that they gave me? What, and what types of aid were they? And then um, what is my out-of-pocket cost? So it, and, and in some cases, it might not be your expected family contribution or what you had thought that the university would have bring to the, brought to the table. And, and that is because some schools have a policy of meeting full demonstrated need some schools have a policy 
not necessarily to meet full demonstrated need and have a little bit of flexibility there? Is that what you're sort of speaking to with respect to a misalignment of my expected EFC and, and how they make that award? Yeah. So, so now this is where the university's philosophies of how they award um, um, come into play. You might have, um, so it could be, does my school, these are the questions that you need to ask. Does my school meet 100% of a family's need? Um, those might be, so just to kind of, those might be selective private schools yeah. where everyone deserves a merit scholarship. So they, they rely on a formula that way. Right. Um, other private schools might offer merit scholarships to attract you. And so where did they fit on your college list? You know, were they challenging schools? Were they target? Were they no problem schools where that could fluctuate your award? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then your residency. Are these schools public universities? Are they in your state? Are they out of state? Do they have a, uh, a recruitment strategy to to bring students in? Is it by major? Is it by location? So there's a lot of things that go into that. And so when you're reading these awards and comparing those awards, it's really important that you're aware of that as well. Is it, you know, you've seen a lot more aid offers than I have. Award letters, there's a lot of detail in there. Uh, It occurs to me that probably there might be some combination of the things that you mentioned. There might be loans, there might be work study, maybe there's a grant, sometimes there isn't a grant. There's lots of different possible combinations. When you're looking at that award letter, is there a bottom line number that every letter comes to that says, here's your out-of-pocket cost? Or do you have to read into the details a little bit more in depth to unpack sort of what all of those numbers are feeding towards? Yeah, so that's a great question. So there isn't really a standard of how award letters are presented. Sounds awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. However, there's some tips to kind of look through that. Um, One is that best practices universities are going to try to give you what gift aid looks like. So that's the free money. That's the money you don't have to pay back. Sweet. Uh, um, Then they'll call the next kind of layer section self-help aid. Um, so those would be work study. You have to work to earn that money, uh, or student loans, um, are included in that. And so those could be broken up into a couple of different types of loans. That's money that you take, you, you pay back later on. Um, oftentimes they will best practices. Yes. That scenario of your out-of-pocket cost, or they might call it the net price, um, might be listed. Okay. In some cases, though, some universities do incorporate that into a plus loan. So you will see a zero balance on your spreadsheet, um, but the plus loan might be a large number, like $30,000 or $50,000. That's something that you're eligible for, but really that's, that's a bigger student loan, and that's coming from the parent side. Understood. So you've got to read into these details really take a look at the fine print. I think Julia was saying in our last segment, this is a big purchase. It is a big purchase and there could be many strings attached that are connected to all of these different loans. Really that gift aid is the one thing, maybe the work study as well, where it's like, you just, you just take this, this will contribute. The other stuff, you have to think about the long-term effects of accepting those awards. Correct. And think about it in a, a four-year budget. Okay. So oftentimes families get... 
this is kind of the hopeful where hope and reality come into play. They go, uh-huh. oh, well, they told me that I could apply for additional scholarships later in my year or, or late, you know, my sophomore and junior year based on major. Well, those are opportunities, but they are not guarantees. Right. And so this is something that's in front of you that is a guarantee. You know what that budget is going to look like uh, for the four years. Let's talk a little bit about some fluctuations. And this is something that has occurred to me as I've had conversations with a few families, especially given two things, right? So the change uh, to the prior, prior year formula in terms of determining eligibility for aid, plus the effects of COVID last year and the potential disruption to family finances in some form or another. So what happens when you're looking at prior, prior year tax returns to determine your aid eligibility, but something happened in the prior year that has really disrupted your family income, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do know that that formula that you're talking about, the FAFSA and the CSS profile, they are only formulas. They are a form. So they can only ask for the circumstances which they're asking for. However, the university does have the ability to review your current circumstances. So um, this is called a professional judgment, or they might have uh, special circumstance forms that are available. Um, So these could be, for instance, these could be loss of wages. You know, 2020 was a very different year. The effects of 2020 moving forward um, could be affected. So families could have had job loss, loss in wages, uh, they might have had an inflated um, financial aid package because of a loss, a loss of job and a severance package. So um, that could yeah. be something that you go back to and say, hey, this isn't something that's consistent. Um, from a financial aid perspective, we're trying to get a glimpse into what your fi- uh, family's financial history has been. Uh, we can't ask for everything. But this is an opportunity to um, present that information and potentially, hopefully, adjust the award that best reflects your current family situation. Um, some other things that are just kind of, you know, those are loss of jobs, loss of wages. Those are definitely things that um, on any given year um, have been more common just as economies and, and jobs have kind of ebbed and flowed. Um, yeah. But changing in household size, I've noticed, um, where an elderly parent has moved in huh. um, or extended family has moved in and, 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 um, and merged, medical expenses as well that might not be covered through um, insurance. So all those other special circumstances could fluctuate. Um, and even if, even if it was a part-time job in those losses or somebody move to a contract work. I've seen a lot of that um, where their employment with an employer has changed. They've gone into contract work or started their own business. And so um, even consider those kind of adjustments as, as part of those special circumstances. No, I, that's, that's really helpful advice. One of the things that I've noticed just working with all of my great colleagues over on the college finance side of College Coach is as finance professionals, you are invested and interested in helping people to afford higher education. Your goal is not to hoard money for the institution. You're not sort of planting a flag and saying, no, you can't ask us for more. 
it seems to me that for the most part, and certainly hundred percent of the college finance professionals at college coach are focused on trying to help families to get the education that they hope that their, their child can have. And so pick up the phone, send an email, have these conversations, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to look, look at you, uh, you know, negatively because you've asked, uh, now with respect to asking, and we've had some different conversations about negotiation previously, uh, you know, we had talked a little bit about asking for more in terms of merit scholarships. What does that look like? I mean, you were saying this is the gift day. That's great. You can sort of put that in your pocket. What about asking for more in that space? especially where they've put a package together that, that brings in some other kinds of aid, you might say, well, can I expand the role of this particular portion? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, merit aid, merit aid isn't going to be tied to economic changes in your family's situation. Definitely. If that's something work with the financial aid office, the merit aid is typically going to be um, coordinated through the admissions office. So um, th- through your admissions counselor. So uh, I'm sure like you had a region that you were responsible for when I worked in admissions and scholarships, I had a region and yeah. that is your point person. That is your advocate in the office. Right. They've read, they've read your reviews. They're going to sit in the, um, the June meeting after everyone's been accepted and you know, you have your class and they're going to get a report hey, these number of students are coming from my region and you yeah. feel good and you pass. Very exciting. Over. No, it's, Very it, exciting. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So they are your advocate. They're your best friends. So um, so at this point, it is okay to ask for additional or different ways to ask for additional merit money. Right now, we're kind of in February, early March. College admissions counselors know that you haven't received all of your awards, right? In the last segment, we talked about February, March is kind of when all the colleges kind of give out their start, start uh, packaging and awarding um, their merit scholarships. Yeah. Right. So right now, I typically have my students that I work with and families say, reach out for additional merit scholarships. Are they hidden? In, are, so are they in the departments? Are there second round scholarships for accepted students? We're seeing a lot more colleges kind of having um, I'm thinking of, of a, a local college that in my area that always has like a couple of different like um, competitions. Hmm. So you go in and you take kind of like a placement test in a particular area, or um, they have special open scholarships for for students to apply for. And if um, you know that those are are those opportunities on available. And your counselor would be the person to ask. And I, I think typically, am I right in assuming that this will help incrementally? It might bring some more award award dollars your way, but you're not gonna you're not gonna see a significant increase in terms of merit scholarships from two thousand to twenty thousand, let's say. Um, Correct. Kind of set your expectations at a thousand to maybe five thousand is your kind of goal. Okay. So, you know. There isn't secret pools of money where we're doing, you asked, here's $10,000. That admission officers are swimming in like Donald Yeah, Duck. yeah, just pools of money. Yeah, is it no. Donald Duck? I don't know who the rich one is. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we'll leave it with that big question for our listeners, Alex. I want to thank you for coming on and talking us through uh, some of these questions around how to unpack that award. Awesome, awesome. 
And folks, if you're interested in seeing the difference between West Portland and East Portland, you can just go and find the video here. Alex looks great. I look like I just came out of the woods. So there it is. Uh, folks, we want to thank you so much for joining us for the conversation for today. Three really awesome segments. Please join us next week. We have the Vice President of Enrollment from Whittier College is coming on to talk about their new racial justice and equity action plan. And we have two segments focused on veterans who are interested in applying to college and getting scholarships. So some really cool stuff next week. We'll look forward to having you here. Until then, have a great end to February. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.